This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for joining. Great to have you here as always. Quite a day in the news cycle. Quite a day indeed. Um, You have, oh my, uh, you have General Flynn out as national security advisor he lasted 24 days um general flynn uh general flynn somehow managed to have the the shortest tenure i i think certainly of any national security advisor in in history and uh also i would assume although i'd have to look at the numbers on this one of the shorter uh, tenures of any cabinet nominee for at least reasons not related to to health, I would guess. Now there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on here. I, I just first want to establish, and I talked about this last night on the show a bit. Um, I first want to establish that uh, General Flynn is a, a a man who served his country very honorably in the military. Um, and there are a lot of people, and, I, and I've been hearing from some of these people too, who say that look, this is somebody who is a uh, a, a patriot, and is is a guy who understands door kicking and going after the enemy, and should be it, that should all be kept in mind here. He's not a Washington insider. He's not politically in the sense of understanding how the game is played, at least politically savvy. And now he's. Have a, he's having an, an ignominious end to what has actually really been a distinguished career um, that, you know, he, he's been forced or I, I, people are saying that he resigned without the Trump administration asking for his resignation. I, I don't know. I don't know if that is true. Um, he may he may have resigned or he may have uh, stepped aside. Uh, he may have I'm sorry, he may have been asked to step aside 
And that's the sort of discussion, that's the kind of detail you would really only get if you had insight into the absolute upper reaches of the Trump administration. I see people are, some people are very upset about this. They think that it's really unfair that Mike Flynn is out. But <laughs> you, you can't lie to the vice president and the rest of the team about a conversation that became a major news story for a few days when you're already under siege from the press. I, I know that there is, and I understand this, I know that there is a sense among many that Trump is getting, the whole Trump team, everybody, and I've been yelling about this for weeks now. Well, I don't really yell that much, but I've been saying Betsy DeVos treated completely unfairly, uh, you know, many others treated unfairly and uh, of the other cabinet nominees Mnuchin there were there was a whole story out there it was true fake news that Mnuchin's firm foreclosed on a widow's house for 79 cents that never happened so there's a lot of reason to always feel like the the Trump team is getting a really unfair shake anybody associated with him because they they are but now we have a, a situation where are, are we going to def are we in the position where we defend you defend everything that someone affiliated with Trump does? Are we going to say that there's no such thing as criticizing the Trump administration with with uh, constructive intent? Do we really think it's okay if the national security advisor was going around? And I and I look I, I tweeted this out. I'm very upfront about the fact that there's a huge double standard here. I, I get that. But we can't allow the fact that there's a double standard to then turn into, oh, we just will have no standards. Uh, the left has already done that, but we can't, we can't become what we disdain. That's not the answer here. So there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of uh, different angles you can take on the whole Flynn situation. It seems, and, and of course now, we're also basing so much of this on not just imperfect information. That's, you know, as an analyst of, of current events and politics, you're always, you always have imperfect information. It's just a question of degree. But you might figure you have some level of access. You know, you might figure that there's, um, there, you, know, you, you can determine for yourself based on how much information you have, what may be missing. And this goes into the Rumsfeldian discussion of known knowns and known unknowns and all the rest of it, right? I mean, this is um, this is where you have to start to look at what you think isn't there that should be there. But when you have disinformation, now you have information that may not be true. I don't know. We, we have to base this on reports of journalists who are using anonymous sourcing. And as you can imagine, in this kind of situation, you've got so many people with an axe to grind or that view this... Uh, personally, um, or, or view this as an issue of, uh, of personal importance that will affect them one way or another. And they're telling the press what they want the press to know. And they know that they can do this anonymously and unsourced. And this is the way the game inside of D.C. is played. And the moment that you step out of the shadows, the moment that you're no longer a, a nameless, faceless bureaucrat, and I say that well, not affectionately, but without judgment, because I was one as well. Uh, the moment that you're in the public eye, whether you want to be or not, if you, you may think you're just serving your country, but you will very quickly find out that you're brought into 
the information and propaganda warfare that is the Daily News Cycle. And uh, Flynn, remarkably to me, uh, didn't really recognize this, didn't really seem to understand uh, that the press was going to be coming after him in this way um, and that they would have help from the inside. That's the part of it that I suppose he didn't know. He probably figured I can say, and by the you know, I, I'm... I'm a little, I find it a little annoying, and more than a little annoying. There's some people that are, are all, that Flynn is, you know, Flynn's getting a, a, a raw deal here. This is unfair. And yeah, what he did wasn't a big deal, but are, are we now going to defend, do we think that he didn't lie to Vice President Pence about the conversation? That Pence doesn't now look like a fool for going around saying, it's Flynn offering his resignation for no reason? Is, is that, you know, we, we can't get into a place where the discussion all of a sudden is, is bereft of reason. And it's just anything, uh, anything that is Trump is is good and must be defended. And anything even affiliated with Trump is good and must be defended no matter what it is. I just won't go down that path. I, I do see people that seem to uh, approach it that way. Uh, but, I, OK, here's what Flynn didn't recognize. It seems to me, I don't know. I don't know the man. He came on the show once. He was a, a gentleman, and we had a very nice interview, and I, I have tremendous respect for his career in service to the military. As a political appointee, let's keep it real, his, his career as a political appointee was very short, and I don't think we would say it is particularly uh, distinguished either. So, um, here we are. Here we are now. Uh, looking at the first... Oh, sorry, I, I, I got diverted from what I was going to say, which is that Flynn thought uh, that he could just... Not stonewall, but that he could move past the issue of this conversation. And I don't think the conversation is a big deal. All the stuff about the Logan Act is crap. Don't... The, the Logan Act, if, if it were really enforced as a law... Uh, well, Teddy Kennedy is, is, is passed away now, but Teddy Kennedy, Nancy Pelosi, Jimmy Carter, we go through the whole litany, whole list of Democrats who very blatantly would have been in violation of the Logan Act. So, you know, you start you start there. Uh, it's it's also a, a law that not only is it not enforced, I don't think it would survive. I don't think it would survive challenge in a court. I don't think it's constitutional uh, or it would have to be narrowed very dramatically. And there's no way that a national security advisor saying we're going to have good a soon to be national security advisor talking to a, a an interlocutor about how he's going to be hoping for better relations with Russia. There's no way that that, I mean, if you're going to criminalize that, you're going to have to criminalize a lot of things. And what that would also mean is that people who are about to take government posts or are likely to take government posts, if they are expressing a criticism of current U.S. foreign policy and saying that they would be different in X, Y, or Z way and promising to have a different approach and meeting with anybody in a foreign government capacity and repeating that, they would be in violation of Logan Act. It's just an unenforceable nonsense law. And it comes from a very uh, constitutionally uh, tragic part of our history where you have the Alien and Sedition Acts. There were laws explicitly passed that are explicitly passed for the purpose of silencing dissent. And for bringing people to heel who opposed U.S. policy, U.S. foreign policy, 
essentially truly gutted the First Amendment. So it comes from that period of time, uh, 1799, Alien Sedition Acts were, what, 1801 or 1802. Uh, there were, you know, free speech didn't last too long in this country before the Congress was passing laws that more or less truncated free speech entirely. I mean, if you can't speak out about U.S. foreign policy as a U.S. citizen, how do you, how do you have free speech? Anyway, so the Flint conversation with Russia is not the problem. I know some people are saying, oh, it's a violation of the Logan Act, but... That's it's this is reminds me of the the Hatch Act where you always had Democrats who were claiming that um, you had Democrats who were claiming that the Hatch Act was uh, something that was being violated. And it was only when Republicans did it. And the Hatch Act can be interpreted very broadly, too. It's anybody it's you know using if you're in government position and you're favoring one political party or using anything that's government affiliated to favor one political side. And these are the same people that would that would all snicker to themselves and, and openly at meetings, including meetings at Langley, about how stupid Bush was and he's a moron. His policy's the worst, and you know he, he it would have been so much better if Al Gore had been president. You know, but that's not a Hatch Act violation. You know, but because the left has no principles, they have a lot of leeway to do whatever they want and say whatever they want. And they, it's always a moving target with them. You don't know how it's really going to be dealt with. Um, but Flynn, the phone call was not the problem. It was not the crime, as in the Logan Act violation, although I don't even think it is a crime, and I don't think it should be a crime. But it's the cover-up here. It's the lying to Pence. I know there are some who disagree with this, and they're going to say, well, this proves that his ties to Russia were even deeper and even worse than we. I haven't seen any evidence of that. Maybe there will be. But as you know, without me telling you, but just for the purposes of bringing us all into the conversation and getting on the same page here, the politics are toxic now around the entire administration for the press and the way that the media is going to cover this. This is just uh, this is the first this is the first media scalp that they've been able to take. This is the first drop of blood in the water. I mean, pick your pick your metaphor, pick your analogy. They are going to be so emboldened now. And I bet they think that there are more administration, there are more cabinet officials. Forget about fighting just the confirmation battle. They're going to hope to to dig stuff up and and drum more Trump cabinet nominees out of office. They see this as a tremendous success. They see this as absolutely uh, something to celebrate. They got rid of General Flynn. I don't think Flynn's I don't think Flynn's a bad guy. I respect his service to the military tremendously. Uh, I don't believe that he was compromised or compromisable in the sense of blackmail, which the DOJ itself was saying at the time. You had uh, Sally Yates. She of I won't I'm acting attorney general, but I won't enforce the government's executive order or I I will tell the DOJ not to defend the, the government, the executive branch executive order fame. That's remember, she's she had a moment there. She was going around uh, to the White House, the Obama White House, saying that she was afraid that Flynn would be blackmailed based on this information. The the Russians are going to blackmail him over this. I I would doubt that. I I, I if they tried to blackmail him, I would assume that he would say, look, you tell people and I'll step down. The, the Trump team could have taken a different tactic. I wasn't sure. I said last night on Buck Sexton with America Now, I thought it was 50-50. He was going to go. 
And I saw that Washington Post piece in the blackmail. I, I still didn't think he was necessarily. I thought it was possible. Maybe I was a little surprised, but it was it was a close call for me. It was it could have gone either way. And as we know now, he's resigned. But this just goes to show you that what uh, what Flynn couldn't have foreseen was that the media would be acting. And this now brings you back to what I was a point I was trying to make before. The media would be acting in concert with the deep state, in concert with the bureaucracy. That people with access to classified inside the government would act as partisans, and they did leak this to the media. Keep that in mind. This was not just an internal matter for those with clearances. This was leaked by either someone in the DOJ, the intelligence community, the White House. They leaked classified to their favorite papers to get this out there, to turn the heat up. And now we're being told, oh, it was all handled as a matter of national security, and that's what this wasn't, this wasn't political score settling. Please. Of course it was. Of course it was. Uh, and Flynn fell into a trap here. And I suppose we will um, be moving on from there. But I just, I think it will get better for the administration. Flynn was a, a lightning rod for criticism and was very polarizing. Uh, you know, it didn't have to be that way. Look at Mattis at defense. No, one's, no one was saying Mattis wasn't up to the job or Mattis was uh, a, a problem for Russia ties or any number of things. Flynn was already getting a lot of heat before this happened, and this just made it worse, and now he's stepped down. Uh, I, th- I still believe that this guy is a patriot and a good man, and I'm sorry that he got jammed up in all of this. Did he have to go? I don't know. But this was not handled well. It was not handled well, and, man, all of the worst elements in the media now are they're throwing little parties, maybe even literal parties. I did see on, on uh, social media last night that some people were saying that there were cheers at at Langley, but I mean, Langley's a pretty quiet place at eight or nine o'clock at night. I can tell you that there's still some people there, but not a lot. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, we'll have more on this. I've got some guests joining to add their perspective in Colorado because this is a, the the political uh, debate that this will unleash, or I should say, the political forces this will unleash are the real heart of the story. Um, they'll find somebody who's a committed patriot to take Flynn's post, and the White House will move on, but. There, this Russia story is not going away anytime soon. Eight 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 nine hundred three three nine three. Team, we'll be back right after this break. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. This 
is the Buck Sexton Show. Well, according to Bloomberg here, Russian lawmakers have reacted with dismay and anger to the resignation of U.S. National Security Advisor Mike Flynn, who was widely seen as an ally in the White House, um, calling it a sign that Donald Trump's administration is falling victim to paranoia toward the Kremlin. I'm very curious to see. I've, I've heard a lot about the Russia contacts here. Um, I've heard a lot about them, and I haven't yet seen other the, the RT thing, which I've talked to you about. Uh, that's that's a bit troubling. Um, just it's just that's bad judge. That's not. I, I, it doesn't mean that um, you're going to be selling out your country or some sort of uh, Manchurian candidate towards this stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, the. The reality here is that they're going to dig and dig and dig on this Russia stuff. I mean, CNN just a couple of days ago had that parts of the Trump dossier, parts of it, have now been confirmed based on unidentified sources from within the intelligence community. And I've really, you know, I've got to ask the questions here. Where are these Russia connect? There's Russia sympathy or a Russia disposition that is too positive. I understand that. And then there is uh, being able to be compromised by Russia and being in Russia's pocket. Those are not the same things. I mean, Obama had Cuba sympathy. That was beyond what I think is is normal or wise. Uh, Obama had Iran sympathy beyond what I think is normal or wise. Uh, But... I'm not run. I wouldn't run around and say that. Well, certainly the press wasn't running around and saying that Obama is is in the pocket of U.S. enemies around the world. I mean, some of us maybe did point that out, but generally speaking, the press wasn't making that case. So I'm just wondering. We keep hearing about this the Russia connection, and I understand Manafort resigned, and that looked weird. Manafort from the campaign, you'll recall, not really talked about that much now. But he had some shady dealings in Ukraine thought were interesting. And, you know, we'll just have to see. We will have to see uh, what goes on uh, from here with all of this. And, you know, there's a lot of other stuff I want to talk to you about, too. I promise we will get to that as well. The phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Our team, we're very pleased to be joined by Ian Tuttle. He is the Thomas Rhodes Fellow at the National Review Institute. He is at IP Tuttle on Twitter. Ian, great to have you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, first, just what is your reaction, and, uh, and take all the time you want with this one, to the whole Flynn kerfuffle? Well, I think we'll need to wait to uh, see how some of it plays out, but I think we can we can draw a couple uh, conclusions. Uh, one is this is uh, indicative of a mess within the White House, that there's just a lot of uh, chaos and confusion uh, that's being sort of sorted out on the fly, and that's not um, a good sign. Uh, secondly, um, this indicates that there's uh, still a power struggle, 
Um, you know, if uh, if it see if. If it's the case that Flynn is out because uh, Mike Pence wanted him out, then that suggests that sort of the Pence-Priebus um, side of the, the White House power struggle um, may have gained a little bit uh, over the Bannon-Miller uh, side. Um, obviously, Flynn was a, a sort of Bannon favorite. Um, thirdly, this seems to be um, part of an ongoing tussle between the White House and the intelligence community. Um, and that, I think, is sort of the the deep um, the deep story here that's going to be developing over a long period of time. Is there's real antagonism uh, within the intelligence community, and or and to a certain extent within the sort of um, held over uh, bureaucracy. Uh, you know, a lot of Obama folks, that sort of thing, that are still holdovers uh, from the previous administration toward Trump. Um, and that's something that the next uh, national security advisor is going to have to get in hand um, because you just can't have uh, the intelligence community and the White House at uh, at war for any sustained period of time. Yeah, no, it's it's the the American deep state. It, fascinating here in, in a sense that it worked in concert with the media. One thing that I feel like hasn't gotten nearly enough attention, at least so far, is that Flynn had enemies on both sides. He had enemies inside and outside. He had enemies inside the DOJ and the intelligence community who were not just uh, pointing fingers at him based on the the conversation is actually, uh, I don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> everyone, everyone keeps talking about the Logan Act. When you're citing a law that no one's ever been prosecuted under, that's that's usually not, a, and it's been around for 200 years, that's usually not a uh, indicative of a particularly strong argument. Uh, but that that he lied about it and they said that he could be blackmailed. I also don't think that's particularly strong. I think the problem comes with all the, the media pressure and the way it looks bad that he that he may have been untruthful or lied to the vice president who then went out and defended him on this one. I mean, that, that seems to me to be where the problem is. And so he was dealing with both the media narrative and leaks from inside the government at the same time. And it was just too much. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot to that. I mean, look, uh, even Washington under Trump is is still Washington, right? When you're friendless, you're out. Um, and it seems like uh, Michael Flynn managed to uh, alienate uh, almost all of the the friends he had. And if he had had anyone on his side, he probably would have um, been able to to stick around. Uh, one other thing that's sort of interesting about um, all of this is that there does seem to be an ongoing investigation related to um, the FBI, related to FISA warrants, um, related to Paul Manafort uh, and uh, Roger Stone, um, in, in which Michael Flynn has, has sort of become entangled and all of that's going on behind the scenes. Um, and that'll be something to, uh, to keep an eye on uh, as all of this plays out. All right. Now, tell me about your piece uh, here on NationalReview.com, The Life Cycle of a Sidney Blumenthal Smear. What's this all about? <laughs> uh, so um, the London Review of Books should have known uh, what it was getting into when it decided to publish uh, anything by Sidney Blumenthal, the, uh, the, the famously uh, deceptive uh, Clinton East, uh, Clintonite. Um, but last week, uh, the, the LRB ran a story called The Short History of the Trump Family by Blumenthal, in which he uh, makes a claim that <clears throat> Donald Trump's father, Fred, uh, was weighing a campaign for New York City mayor in 1969. Uh, and as part of the evaluation process, created two test commercials 
um, in which he basically had uh, uh, in which he basically peddled uh, racist themes, right? Um, you know, down and out, uh, down and out, quote unquote, Negroes, um, white people afraid for their safety appearing on camera, this sort of thing. Uh, and then, of course, Blumenthal goes on to say Trump didn't become mayor, um, but he bequeaths his campaign themes to his son, uh, which is a real tidy little uh, little genealogy, uh, except for the fact that it's not true. Um, and the, the, the videos, in fact, <clears throat> were made by a, a video art project last year that uh, creates, quote, found footage from alternate realities. Uh, and in fact, uh, it seems that Fred Trump uh, never considered a mayoral run at all. Um, of course, Blumenthal being who Blumenthal is, uh, despite the fact that this was fairly readily uh, debunked, I'm sure it will continue to live on in corners of the Internet as part of sort of the, uh, the fake uh, mythology of, of the, the racist Trump family. And I think for Blumenthal, that's uh, mission accomplished. You know, I have to say the, the fake news that's uh, that's originally was used as a, a rallying cry against uh, Trump's victory, right? That was it was the fake news was what got him elected was how it all started. And then people started saying, well, no, actually, there's a lot a lot of the mainstream media uh, runs with fake news. And it became the, this pointing of fingers and back and forth on, on the, the fake news issue all the time. I have to say that some of the media outlets are so sensitive to it. And to me, it sort of it reminds me of the old uh, schoolyard issue of it really bothers you more when it's true. <laughs> and I just wonder if you have any thoughts on that, because The Washington Post has had major corrections that should have been retractions on stories that were anti-Trump. Uh, a number of other news sources I've mentioned on this show, Steve Mnuchin, who had his company foreclose on a widow for her home for 70 for a debt of 79 cents. How anyone could think that that's a thing that happened is beyond me. But that was getting out there. The bust of uh, Martin Luther King out of. There, there is some truth to this, isn't there? I mean, that, that there are news sources that are supposed to be credible and honest that run with fake stuff as long as it hurts Trump. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there there are two elements to this. One is the 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 current sort of um, ecosystem of journalism reflects the general polarization of the country, and the fact is that there, you know, eighty eighty five percent of of journalists are just activists uh, with with Internet connections. Um, and so, you know, they're not really writing journalism as much as they're writing, um, you know, spin. Um, and when as many of them uh, as as there are just really, really dislike Trump, they're eager to um, take whatever the, the latest story is and paint it in the worst light uh, or interpret it even, you know, sort of innocently interpret it in the worst light. Everything is everything is Nazism. Everything is the apocalypse, whatever the case might be. Uh, and run with it. Um, the second uh, fact is this is um, sort of an, a continuation of journalism by social media, um, when everything is is reported um, not in pieces that have really been fleshed out, sourced, but in tweets. Uh, you know, where breaking news is is posted on on Twitter instead of on the New York Times uh, homepage um, in a lengthy article. Um, then you're liable to have have people. Uh, for reasons of, of traffic, for reasons of getting the scoop, uh, leap out ahead uh, ahead of themselves. Uh, so I think they're sort of, you know, one of those is is really partisan and one of those sort of a fact of, of media life right now. But together they um, are creating a really uh, toxic situation for anyone who wants to be 
reasonably um, uh, informed about about what's what's actually happening. Yeah, and it seems to me that there is also a, a curious tendency for many of these outlets to the, the, when all the mistakes go in the same direction, we, we have to take some. Uh, we have to take that as as a, as a data point in and of itself, right? When it's always, in this case, anti-Trump in some capacity, and then there's the the correction whispered later on. It feels very obvious, but I, I guess the part of this is that at some of the major networks and some of the uh, big newspapers, the pretense of objectivity is really what they think elevates them above, as you put it, all the activists. And so they have to fight, even though they must they must be aware or maybe they're not, but they should be aware of the activism that is motivating many of their actions under the banner of objective news. They're also very they very clearly understand that they have to keep up this. At this point, it's really a fig leaf. right? I mean, The New York Times is clearly a liberal Democrat paper. And I grew up here in New York City. I've been reading New York Times since I was able to read newspapers, but they they have to cling to this notion that they're objective. I mean, the same is true at CNN and MSNBC. They're left of center. Uh, how left we could discuss and, and even debate, but they're definitely left of center. But they have to keep up the pretense, right? Because there's a power in the pretense of objectivity. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's one of the things that contributes to um, the the, antagoni- the antagonism against them. Um, the New York Times, uh, I know conserva- conservatives will reflexively um, recoil at my saying this, but the New York Times does some very good reporting. The Washington Post does some very good uh, reporting. They have large budgets for investigative uh, journalism, uh, which they use. Um, you know, there's some really valuable stuff that comes out. The New York Times I love their restaurant reviews, the New York Times. I mean, they, they do have very good writers. <laughs> so. yeah, the New York Times is a, is a fine left-wing newspaper. And if they say that, um, then, you know, people can, can come to the Times and say, okay, you know, I'm going to take this journalism, knowing what I know about the Times bias, and, you know, appreciating that they've sort of put that out, uh, that, you know, they put that out in the open, um, and I can weigh these things uh, judiciously. Instead, the Times says, no, just, this is just the way it is. Um, and everybody knows that's that's nonsense. Um, and so you have all these these writer, or all the uh, readers and other consumers of news who come to that feeling like they're already um, sort of being being deceived by that pretense. Yeah, and I feel like we could just have a system where people are open about. I mean, I'm very. I love people say, "Oh, you you talk about the media." So yeah, I, I identify as a conservative. I identify as a Republican. I tell people who I vote for, and I say that influences all of what I talk about, all of how I think, and I'm upfront about it. I still have to try to be factual and accurate because then you lose credibility no matter who you're talking to. But you look at the way the system is. Uh, at least my understanding of it. I haven't lived in the UK. Uh, but everyone knows that there are, there are labor papers there, there are Tory papers there, and, and it's out in the open in a way where I feel like it should be here too, but there's still this old pretense of, you know, the newsman, you know, Edward R. Murrow, and, you know, Dan Rather, and no, I just think we need to get, we need to get past that. Well, and of course, you know, it's, it's something of a historical anomaly because you go back and look, and, you know, uh, papers for a long time were, um, uh, partisan identified. You know, you have the the such and such Democrat and the such and such, uh, you know, Republican, and, and occasionally you have papers that still hold have held on to those names. Um, and then, you know, I think in the um, mid 20th century that sort of turns over, and you get this, you know, sense of 
um, this pretense of, of objectivity, which you know had a um, had its reasons. Um, but again, the the uh, the practice uh, is is no longer lining up uh, with the theory, um, and it's encouraging. I think uh, a lot of the antagonism toward the media that um, ultimately is unhealthy because what it it, it contributes to the the self ghettoizing in terms of news consumption that we we saw was such a big um, factor in this past election. All right, Ian Tuttle, uh, fellow at Nash at the National Review Institute. Follow him I P Tuttle T U T T L E on Twitter. Ian, thanks for joining. Great to have you. Thank you. Team Buck, we'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Oh, man, it's so obvious. Here we go. Democrats demand, what did the president know and when did he know it? Oh, yeah, this is Watergate all over again, everybody. Let's just be very clear about something. What was the outcome of this phone call between Flynn and Russia? That is so probable. Oh, it, it undermined Obama's foreign policy for for what? For like two weeks? Are, are, are we really? Is that? What we care, so it undermined Obama's majestic and wonderful foreign policy for a couple of weeks. A lot of things can undermine the foreign policy of a president. So what was the, what was the big takeaway here again? But the New York Times is running with, oh, they, man, this is, they are so excited. They have scored their first breach in the outer wall of the Trump administration uh, I got You know what? I'm. I, they're going to go nuts on this all week, but I think that they'll get a new national security advisor in there. They may move away from some of the not especially qualified political appointees in the national security side. They may realize that's not a great move. Maybe not. So we'll see. But this is they're going to try to make this hobble the trump administration i don't think it will i think the trump team will move on from this but the russia connection is now they have their first real hit you know you've hit my battleship remember that game they have their first real hit on this uh, even though the conversation I, I i really have to reiterate this is not a big deal to me i don't see how it's if i'm wrong on this please explain to me i, I don't see the conversation as a big deal I think the issue here was a lack of trust in Trump's inner circle. And they decided that they were going to have to do something about it. Or maybe Flint, maybe he did decide to resign and just didn't want to put the administration through more of this. Uh, there, there's this assumption now that, and I said, like Bill Crystal tweeted out, that the real, the real problem is the Russia connection here with Flynn. Okay, can someone please show me a troubling Flynn-Russia connection that's unethical and endangers our national security not just that shows not great judgment about things we've got more coming our two the buck sexton show only on the blaze radio network